0: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Always appreciate a five-star review. That's if you're inclined to give us one. And don't forget as well, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit of Sixers, a little bit of Lakers, a little bit of NBA Finals. I used to be a co-host with him at Lakers Nation. My homie, he was also part of the NBA front office show as well, Mr. Trevor Lane. Trevor, we were doing this before the pandemic. We used to do post game shows all the time, and it feels like we (laughs) haven't talked in a couple of years. So what's going on with you, man? That's right. That's
2: right. I like to say, we we were doing this before it was cool. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know what? It's uh, it's been been good. It's been obviously it was a rough season for the for the Lakers. And so that was that was difficult. I mean, you you were with me during some lean times. This was the worst we've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This was a tough season to get through, to be sure. But, uh, you know, still standing at the end of it. We'll see if the Celtics win a championship. That's going to make it hurt that much worse. But uh, somehow we are still here, still still persevering through through the pain.
1: Yeah, we were, we were doing it before it was cool, and we were also doing it before you can get paid properly, too, right, Trevor? So that's another, <laughs> that's a, that's a trade-off of it all. Uh, you mentioned the Lakers having a rough season, the Sixers, weird season for, for Philly, right? I mean, everything, we knew the Ben Simmons drama going, going into the year. I remember being a training camp last season in Philly and talking with coaches, talking with players. They were all saying the right things, but you could tell it started to wear on them as the season wore on, then we got to the trade deadline. So I want to take you back there, Trevor, because like I mentioned, you do the NBA front office so alongside Key Smith. That's a, that's a great one as well. Keeps people well-informed on what's going on around the league. But looking back at when the Sixers made that trade for James Harden and obviously included Andre Drummond, Seth Curry, which killed their depth, but they also got rid of Ben Simmons at that time. Did you think the Sixers were a championship contender as soon as that trade was done?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought so. I thought they were a championship contender before the trade was, was done, maybe not, you know, the top of the heap or whatever in the, in the Eastern conference, but I mean, Joel Embiid was absolutely fantastic. So they were certainly one of the teams that was a threat to win the whole thing. I thought that for this season, getting James Harden in exchange for, for a Ben Simmons that wasn't playing. Anyway, you're adding that piece. I mean, you lost some other valuable stuff in Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, but by bringing in James Harden for just essentially what was dead salary sitting on, on the books, uh, I thought that was going to be a nice boost to the Sixers and was going to further cement their status as a contender in the Eastern conference. So I've, I thought if the goal was to win this season, that it was a, it was a smart move for the 76ers
1: looking forward. I mean, they played pretty well when Harden and it took him a few weeks to, to get into the lineup. He was dealing with, with the hamstring issues, but, we saw what happened in the playoffs, right? Like especially against the, Ra- obviously dealing with, with Joel's injuries in terms of torn ligament in the thumb. Then he had the orbital bone injury against, mm-hmm. against the Raptors and then missed the first couple against Miami. So things kind of got screwed up there for the Sixers anyways, because, and that's the thing people forget is as much as it was deflating to lose to Miami in games five and six, also looking back at that, it was basically a 2-2 series with Joel in the lineup. But going back to Harden, we've seen what, his limitations are now, right? He was, he's not the same guy that we saw winning MVPs and scoring titles with, with the Rockets. But when you watched him play this year, he's 32 going on 33 this season. When you watched him play in the playoffs, what do you think is missing for him? And do you think he still has the ability? I don't think he'll ever get back to again, cause father time is undefeated. I don't think he'll get back to being five years ago, James Harden, but do you think he still has the capability of being a top 10, top 15 player in the NBA?
2: I think he does as long as, you know, the, the efficiency is there. That's always the question with him. But then, I mean, let's face it. There were some games there in the playoffs where it did, the motor just didn't look like it was it was fully switched on. And so that's where it becomes more of a mental challenge, right? As, you, as father time takes its toll, which he, which he does for everybody, for every player, you've got to have that kind of mental sharpness on a night in night out basis where you are locked in on every little thing because those little things matter a lot more when the athleticism starts to wane, when you're, when you aren't quite able to just be bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else anymore. Um, so that's going to be a, be a question with James Harden: is, can he develop into this next phase of his career? Not And, and we, I don't want to paint it as though he's just done as a star or anything like that. No, this guy is still incredibly talented, but the question is, Can he figure out a way to continue to be efficient out there on the floor with father time taking? So at least that's what it appears to be is going on with, with him. So I think it's a question mark. I think the talent is still there and that he has the ability to be that. But can he mentally, in terms of his approach to the game, figure out a way to retain his effectiveness? You know, we've seen some stars in the past who have figured out ways to do that and have done a great job. I uh, think about Michael Jordan and, and developing the turnaround jumper, and the different things that he turned to in his game. And then you think about some other players who weren't necessarily able to adapt. Uh, you look at, uh, especially when we talk about some smaller guards, you look at like Allen Iverson, Stefan Marbury players who, once the athleticism started waning, they struggled to adapt their games to fit to what their new reality was. And so that's going to be the question for James Harden moving forward. So can he, can he do that? And that, I think that's going to determine the answer to that question of whether or not he can still be top 15.
1: Yeah. And then that was, that was kind of the expectation when they, when they made the deal and, and, you know, looking at the drama they had in Brooklyn between himself and Kyrie Irving, obviously not getting vaccinated. And then him and Kevin Durant reportedly had some, some issues as well. And and looking at that, when that deal was made, it was like, him and, you know, Harden and Joel in a pick and roll, that's going to be unstoppable. And they played very, very well together. And, and the underlying numbers favor Harden. The team had a much higher net rating positive than they did with him on the court than it did with him off. And, and you're looking at those things that are the nucleus for a championship contender, because the funny part is, Trevor, when I'm watching the like this finals right now with with and we'll, we'll jump into that later on. But the Celtics and the, and the, the Warriors, they're so deep. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, you have guys like Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard. I don't want to say Al Horford's like a total role player at this point, but, you know, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, these guys playing well. Then for the Warriors, Jordan Poole, although he struggled a bit, they have options off the bench. When you look at the Sixers, in terms of addressing the offseason needs, and a whole bunch of this depends on what James Harden decides to do, opting in, opting out, what he signs for. I'm assuming. Daryl Morey and Cole will end up waving Danny Green. So they get his $10 million off the books. And then obviously they have the number 23 pick. But looking at this from your perspective, what do you think the Sixers need to nail down this offseason in order for it to be successful and get them amongst the actual legitimate championship contenders we're seeing teams with depth like Boston
2: and Miami? Well, I mean, you let's say you decide to waive Danny Green, which I mean terrible what happened with, with Danny Green. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery and can continue his career because let's face it, you know, his age with that kind of injury, you, you got to wonder, does he, does he make it back? But wish him all the best. Hopefully he does um, as cold as it may be. Yes. You, you have to waive that salary, right? I mean, you've, you've got to do that. You've got the ability to do that um, in terms of it being not, not a guaranteed deal. So 76ers definitely have to do that, but that doesn't mean they suddenly have cap space to go really play with. So realistically you're, you're talking about a limited amount of, of spending power out there on the market. And it's also a really weak free agent class. And so what we're looking at for this summer and uh, Keith and I on the front office, show, have been talking about this quite a bit that this is probably going to be the summer of the trade across the NBA, because there's just, there's just not that many players out there in free agency. It feels like every team is looking for three and D wings, guys who can shoot, who can be very switchy on the defensive end of the floor. So are, is there a trade out there? That you can pull off. Maybe you can take some pieces like Niang, like Cork Maz, like uh, Tobias Harris. I mean, Tobias Harris is a big, big salary. And so that's that might be kind of difficult to move. But are there some pieces that you can stack up and maybe go make something happen there? And then what can you do in the draft? Can you find guys that are ready to step in right now? Because again, those players just aren't really out there on the market in free agency. Sure, you can you can take a swing with your with your taxpayer mid-level exception. And maybe you can find somebody for that $6 million mark. I've been looking at uh, a player like an Otto Porter is interesting uh, in terms of giving you a little bit more wing depth A Victor Oladipo. Can he be kind of what we saw for the Miami Heat this season? Can he really come back into his own there? But again, I think a lot of the damage is going to have to be done in terms of finding that true depth. You're going to have to get creative out there on the trade market. And then if you can find some guys in the draft that are ready to step in and help right now, which is a, a tall order, young players coming in and asking them to help out right away. But that's going to be the situation that teams are forced into because again, there's just not much out there. It is, it is, it's depressing how how little there is out there on the free agent market this season.
1: Yeah. And again, like you mentioned, the, the Sixers might have the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is around 10.3 million, I believe uh, could have some other assets, but again, that is all dependent a lot of it's depended, part of me, on what happens with James Harden at the end of the month. Uh, you mentioned yes. Tobias Harris, Charver. Like, I, I always say this, too. I go, you can't say that he's not a good NBA player. He's averaged more than 16 points over the last 11 seasons, dropped 17.2 this year, uh, respectable shooting shot, almost 37% from the three-point line, but that contract, it just bloated, right? You know what I mean? And there's nothing you could do about it. The guy's getting paid $37 million, although Jimmy Butler, as we recall, had plenty to say about that uh, following the when Miami eliminated Philly in game six. When you look at his potential fit somewhere, do you think this sick? because I, I think that's the home run for Daryl Morey and Elton Brand and the rest of the management crew, is finding a taker for Tobias. You're going to have to, and they don't, they're, they're stuck in terms of assets and uh, what they can give up. Uh, they have this year's first round pick can't trade next year's 2025. It's going to OKC can't trade 2026, 2027 is going to Brooklyn. So they're kind of in this weird spot that they can't really give up too many future assets unless they're able to find maybe a team like the Bulls, give up a first round pick for Matisse Ibel, take a gamble on him. But is there a way you think, or is there a path for the Sixers to offload Tobias Harris this offseason?
0: Um,
2: I think that there might be. And, and the reason for it goes back to it. And first of all, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about James Harden. If he you're looking at that, if he opts out, then potentially you can look at that that non-taxpayer level. And that puts you into a different category of, of free agents that you can target. But um, and I believe he probably does opt out and we wind up in a situation where the 76ers are re-signing him. But uh, Tobias Harris, the thing is, when you look at the at the free agent market right now, you look at what's out there and you look at what teams want. They want big wings who can defend and you can shoot and can shoot. That's that's what you're looking for, right? And Tobias Harris, you can quibble over, is he really a shooter? The, the bottom line is teams do have to care if he's behind the three-point line. He's not this insane sniper or whatever, but teams care if he's out there behind the three-point line. He can do a lot of things. Um, I, I was talking about this on Twitter earlier. Sometimes we get stuck into in this mode where we take a player's contract and we let our opinion of their bang for the buck on the contract bleed into our perception of who they are as a player tobias harris is still a very good player is he overpaid on this contract probably but if he was making less i think there'd be the teams would be lining up to get him so Mm -hmm. i don't think this is a a complete stay away player i think teams will be interested in, in tobias harris and you can find some takers The question is, what are you willing to take back? Might you have to take back some long-term salary? And if you find a piece that you think is a better fit, um, maybe you're willing to do that if you're the 76ers. But Tobias Harris, again, I think you've got the benefit of teams needing what he provides on the wing. That will help make it, again, not easy because it is still a big contract. It is still long-term money but it will make it a little bit easier than some other players like, for example, even my Lakers with, with Russell Westbrook. What do they do even with an expiring contract? That's not going to be easy to move. You look at um, even a player like uh, like Duncan Robinson could wind up being more difficult to move because teams just go right after him defensively. Tobias Harris can compete on both ends of the floor, and that I think is going to provide a little bit more incentive for teams to potentially take him on in a trade. And again, he doesn't have that much money as as expensive as he is. He's only got next season. And then one more after that under contract, and then he's a free agent again. So I think we do see teams interested in, in Tobias Harris. If the 76ers want to put him out there on the market, the question is what do they go get with him? And that's going to be, that's going to be the challenge, particularly at that dollar amount.
1: Yeah. I I just think some flexibility would be good for the Sixers. I mean, again, we look back at it and the reports were that, Daryl Morey was hesitant to include Matisse Thybulle just because of his defensive presence in, in that deal for Harden, ended up having to put Seth Curry and Andre Drummond in there, which I think hurt them, right? I mean, you had... Joel Embiid and four other centers on the on the roster, including the corpses of Paul Millsap and DeAndre Jordan. Um, And I think they would have been better off with Drummond Curry. And then now, if you can unload Tobias, even trying to maybe rectify that mistake, which is just to bring in a couple of guys who are maybe making 15, 16, 17 million, that at least you're giving your team more depth because Mm -hmm. they have they have the talent with Joel Embiid, an MVP candidate, 28 years old, still you know, hopefully has three to four years left in his prime. You got Harden, as we mentioned, although he's on the backside of his career, he's a player that, that obviously it could be a difference maker when he's at full health and at his best and Tyrese Max is coming up as a potential all-star. And I've talked about this before. Now, if you look at this, Trevor, because we've heard, heard that Daryl Morey would like to add another star, which it doesn't matter what off season it is. We hear that anyways about Daryl Morey. Right. <laughs> um, if you look at maybe get, would you like, if you were in his shoes, would you look at trying to move, Tyrese Maxey, even though he's cost controlled, has the potential to be an all-star young, obviously given where he's at 21 years old, but is he somebody you would, you would hesitate to maybe include in a deal, just giving the, the short-term gain for the, for the long-term,
2: which would be a loss. Yeah. I'm a big fan of of Tyrese Maxey. So I would 100% be hesitant to move him unless unless you get an opportunity that comes up where you look at it and you say that this puts us at the top. This, this puts us as one of, if not the most likely team out of the Eastern Conference to win a championship this year, then, okay. Otherwise, I'm not moving Tyrese Maxey. He's too good. You found something here. He can be a part of your future long, long term. You're talking about he could be a sixer for the next 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And in this league, that's rare. That doesn't happen very often. We see player movement being a thing and all that. But you have to factor that in. And it's not like, It's not like you're in a situation where he's just young and you're hoping that someday he can be something. He's already something. He's already something that can help you win. So in my mind, you hang on to that unless you get something for a true star that lands on your plate. Then then you consider moving him. Otherwise, I think you just take take your success and uh, and you keep him because they found something great in him. And, uh, and I think he should be part of their team long-term again, unless there's something they just can't refuse that, that pops up.
1: Yeah, the way the way he developed, Trevor, over, over the season was was fascinating. And I, I talked with him at, at training camp, to an interview with him, and he talked about all the things that he worked on throughout the offseason, and that really did pay off. He talked about being a better outside shooter, being more decisive with the ball in his hands. And we saw that, again, still made mistakes that young players make, had some issues with consistency in the playoffs, but he has shown that with the work he's willing to put in and, and Doc Rivers, Joel and B, James Harden, all these guys have talked about how hard Tyrese works. I think once we see that, Uh, come to fruition i I think he's going to be an all-star level player i don't think he'll ever be mistaken for a top 20 guy in the nba but he definitely has the potential to be make an all-star team or two uh trevor i want to jump into some lakers talk you mentioned russell westbrook we'll talk about darvin ham and about the nba finals going on between the celtics and the warriors boston up two to one going into game four which happens on friday we'll jump into that after a short
0: break. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, we are back. Uh, Trevor, wanting to get into this, I know that Sixers fans and Lakers fans are united in their hate for the Celtics and not wanting the Celtics to win. Uh, But with your Lakers, you mentioned the the Russell Westbrook stuff. It's been kind of a cluster, you know what, since uh, the season ended, not knowing what's going to happen. Is there a market for him? When you look at now, obviously, the Lakers getting rid of Frank Vogel, bringing in. Darvin Ham, and we'll jump into that in a second as well. But when you look at Russell Westbrook's fit and considering the lack of option the Lakers are going to have because they don't have a ton in terms of assets to attach to Russell Westbrook, hoping that another team takes him on, do you think he'll ultimately be on the Lakers
2: opening day roster next season? You know what? When the offseason began, which was a long, long time ago for the Lakers at this point, uh, when the offseason began, <laughs> the my, my feeling was there's no way you bring him back. Just you, you can't you can't bring them back. You just you can't do it. The you just you need to clear the air. The fit there were fit concerns from day one, and those were magnified over the course of the season. The fit was even worse than I think anybody could have predicted. Um, and then you've got the personality stuff and, and everything else that got that got wrapped up in it. But now the further we move into the off season, um the it's feeling more and more likely that he does get brought back. And I don't know if that is a symptom of the, the Lakers not being able to find a trade if they right now are just wanting to put out there that they are willing to bring him back in order to improve any leverage. I don't know if anybody would really be buying that. Um, but in, in trade negotiations, if that's something that, that's going on. But the more we've heard, it's just, I mean, week by week, the evidence has just been piling up that the Lakers are really looking at bringing back Russell Westbrook. And again, that kind of has to be their stance right now because – Everybody knows he's picking up that player option, hasn't done it yet, but it's going to happen by the end of the month. Um, he will hold out as long as he can to pick that up to make sure they don't trade him to a team that he doesn't want to go to or something. But uh, ultimately, he's going to pick up that player option. And at that point, he's on the roster. And so until he's not, the Lakers kind of have to take the stance that, yes, he's going to be back. You can't put out there publicly that, yeah, we're going to trade him. But still, we've been hearing it so much, this assumption that he's going to be there next season, that it's feeling more and more like that is indeed the path the Lakers are are most likely to travel. So I've got it like most likely probably 65, 70 percent. He's back with the Lakers next season. I think they will still attempt to find trades, but I don't know that a deal is going to be out there that makes sense in terms of the price you would have to pay to get off that contract.
1: Why was it so toxic with him? Because it's not like you know. You look at 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 um, Westbrook's time in the in the league. You know what I mean? He's he's been around since two thousand eight, two thousand nine. You know, multiple times. I think a seven or eight time All Star. Uh, guy, average, triple, double, former MVP. Like you look at what he's done and he's not, uh, to me, he's not washed. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you're watching a guy out there struggling to move, struggling to even create space for himself. Still a very good rebounder, still great at dishing the rock and setting his teammates up. But why was it so clunky? Like, is it just the fact that he's playing with guys at the level of, of LeBron and although AD missed most of the season um, with AD in there as well? Like, what is it about Russell Westbrook that made it so hard
2: for him to fit with the Lakers? So it was a few things. I mean, on on paper, it doesn't fit at all, right? Because on paper, what succeeded alongside LeBron James is guys who can defend and guys who can shoot. If you get those players alongside LeBron, typically good things, good things happen. And Russell Westbrook is neither of those things. He's not a good defender, not a good shooter. Teams leave him alone around the three-point line. And then Russ, for him to be at his best, he needs the floor space. He needs as much room as possible to operate. He needs the ball in his hands. And of course, if the ball is in Russell's hands, then it's not in LeBron's hands. And ideally, you would prefer the ball to be in LeBron's hands. Um, we also saw turnover issues. We saw some issues with uh, with Frank Vogel and Russell Westbrook, that relationship not being good. We saw some unwillingness on Russell Westbrook's part to adapt. We saw some adaptations that he did make that just didn't work out. It was just about everything that, that could have gone wrong, went wrong. And then on t- just to compound things, I mean, just a massive tidal wave of injuries all season Mm -hmm. long. It was one thing after another, after another, the entire year. So there was no consistency in 82 games. They had 41 different starting lineups. I mean, that's, that's absurd. And so even if there was a point where they finally felt like they had started to figure out a role where Russell Westbrook could be successful and the rest of the team could be successful along with him, somebody would instantly get hurt and that would change the dynamic of everything, particularly when it's LeBron missing a lot of games and Anthony Davis missing a lot of games and not just kind of fill-in role-player guys. So all of those things kind of added up to a disastrous season. But to your point, Russell Westbrook is, if we're being honest, he's probably better than what we saw last season. That's probably not the best that you can get out of Russell Westbrook. Now, maybe new coach Darvin Ham can get more out of him. Is it enough to alleviate those fit concerns that are very obvious on paper. That was the gamble the Lakers took was talent over fit. I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait to see, but I think it's okay to be optimistic. And I think Russell Westbrook, just like Tobias Harris is another player, perhaps a more extreme example where the bang for your buck on the contract bleeds through into the perception of him as a player. He still can be an impactful player, but the fit just didn't work with the Lakers last season. We'll see if Darvin Ham can put him in a better situation.
1: Yeah, you And you mentioned Darvin Ham, Trevor, obviously the Lakers went with him. We were hoping,
2: I'm not going to lie, we were hoping it was Doc Rivers. I'm
1: not, not going <laughs> to lie. Everybody was like, please take him out of here because now I feel like Quinn Snyder would be a great option for the Sixers the way he, he makes adjustments, he's more modern. But yeah, we were all hoping it was like, please, Doc, find a way to go back and, and take the because Bill Plaschke, the LA Times, he was saying that that is what the Lakers wanted. So thank God that didn't happen. But you mentioned Darvin Ham. Uh, dude was shot in the face when he was younger and promised to live life to its fullest. And he's done (laughs) that since, uh, broke a backboard in college. Uh, he's been around, played in the NBA, been around, been an assistant for many years. Uh, you happy with that fit from a Lakers perspective and, and, and how do you think he's going to do having to not only coach, but in terms of handling the personalities when you got guys like LeBron AD and Russell Westbrook?
2: Yeah. So I was pretty happy that they landed and most Lakers fans were, um, happy that they landed on darvin ham most most lakers fans heading into the offseason and this was my was my approach as well was number one what is the process that you use to to determine your your head coach number two once you pick your guy do you try to get cute again and say we're only going to give him a three-year deal instead of a four-year deal which is industry standard are we going to not allow him to pick his own assistant coaches which again is industry standard and not what they did with frank vogel are they going to maintain this idea that Kurt Rambis is going to sit in on their coaches' meetings and kind of look over the new head coach's shoulder. Again, not industry standard. And so that was kind of the second part of it. And then it's, do they actually land on the right coach once you've you've squared all that away? And I think they checked all three boxes. I think that the process that they used didn't do the things that Lakers fans feared they were going to in terms of just looking at guys who already have a history with the organization, staying within the family tree, not casting a wide enough net. I felt like they did cast a very wide net They looked at a lot of different options. They made sure we're going to commit to whoever this is. It's going to be a four-year deal. We're not going to be sitting in the coaches' meetings. They're going to be able to pick their own assistant coach. And then ultimately, I think throughout the interview process, they determined who most people saw as the best candidate of the choices that were out there. Now, maybe if Quinn Snyder was on the market, that might've changed. Maybe if Doc Rivers was on the market, that might've changed things. The Lakers are known for going after names. Doc Rivers is certainly a bigger name than Darvin Ham. Maybe that would've changed the outcome of the situation, but given the, the names that were out there, the coaches that were available, I, I think the Lakers did just fine in terms of who they, who they picked for their their, uh, their head coach. I think Darvin Ham is, is an, a very qualified leader. The Lakers have been impressed with his X's and O's, and now he's got a very tall task on his hands. Uh, the drawback being that he's a first time head coach, but I'm optimistic that he, that he can pull it off. And I think the Lakers, as an organization, made the correct moves in landing on Darvin Ham as their decision.
1: So Trevor, it's, it's the opposite of when we did the shows together that they had Luke Walton calling the shots as is that, is that you're more confident in Darvin Ham at this point.
2: <laughs> yes. And you know what? There's some similarities, right? First time head coach in Luke Walton, first time head coach in Darvin Ham. But, but um, I think there's reason to be optimistic that Darvin Ham based on, he's got a reputation around the NBA as being a guy who should already be a head coach and should have already gotten an opportunity. So when when the hiring comes in and the general perception around the league, not just from L.A. is that's a good hire that makes you feel a little bit better about about the choice.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I think he was the right guy. And, and I think a lot of people wanted from a Sixers perspective, a lot of people wanted Philly to make a move on the coaching front because. As much as Doc Rivers gets this clout for, yeah, he won the championship back in 08 with the Celtics, made the finals, obviously a couple of years later when they ended up losing to the Lakers in in 2010, but we've just seen him crap the bed so many times that you need to get a fresh voice. And you mentioned Darvin Hemp probably should have got a shot earlier on, but these are the guys I feel like it, because this happens across a lot of sports, right? You look at the NFL, they hire these retreads who have proven that they're not good at what they do, but because they've been around the league and no disrespect to guys like Luke Walton, Alvin Gentry, who've had some semblance of success as coaches but really their track record is what it is so when the proof's in the pudding you kind of have to at that point maybe try something new so this is something different for the Lakers they hired Frank Vogel who was not their first choice you know back in I believe it was 2019-20 when you know the pandemic happened but it wasn't even their second choice (laughs) it wasn't their second wasn't yeah it ended up being their third or fourth choice and ultimately yeah it didn't work out in terms of a sustained level of, of great success but bought the team a championship. Speaking of championships, Trevor, let's jump into this NBA Finals. I've actually said this is the most intriguing finals that I'm I'm seeing from a drama standpoint since 2016 between the 73-9 Warriors and, and Cavs. Uh, Boston now up 2-1 after, after beating the Warriors 116-100 in Game 3, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Game 4 coming up on Friday. When you're watching these two teams play... Trevor, and I know it must be tough from a Lakers perspective, because as you mentioned, obviously the hate of the Celtics, the Warriors being, it's always weird for me because the Warriors and Lakers have never been really good at the same time over Mm -hmm. the last 25 years. So I don't really know how much of a rivalry it is other than the geographical NorCal SoCal thing. But when you look at this series and the thoughts of that, you have so far, especially focusing on Draymond green, um, obviously had the FU chant going on in the garden Mm -hmm. last night. He's talking about uh, really focused on talking about how oh the media members are coming and and you know we're gonna get rid of all y'all and and it's gonna be a player movement, dude. You haven't done anything on the court. Like you look at at his his stats in the finals. The the Warriors better out without him on the floor. From a defensive rating standpoint, um, he's not doing a hell of a lot in terms of hitting shots, and I I believe Stat Muse put a a tweet out that he's got more podcasts in the NBA (laughs) playoffs than he does uh, three-pointers. When you look at what's happening with him, did you expect Draymond to get this amount of heat, or do you think he just brings it on upon himself?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess first and foremost, from the the Lakers' perspective, this finals, and not even so much the Warriors, it could be anybody, it doesn't have to be the Warriors, but anybody against the Celtics – um, it's just evidence that this is the worst season in NBA history from the, from the Lakers perspective. <laughs> yeah, it has been, it has been awful, <laughs> but, um, but, and that, and because of that, I'm fully expecting the Celtics to finish th- this thing off and, and win the series, uh, just to cap off a terrible, terrible NBA season, um, again, from the, from the Lakers perspective, but Draymond has been awful. He has been, I mean, the one game where he was, where he was okay. They win game two, game one, and game three, he was horrifically bad. And um, and so there's that element of this as well. But Draymond getting heat, that's, that's Draymond being Draymond. Um, that's just him doing things that, that he tends to do. And uh, the, it's okay when he's backing that up on the floor, right? You can say it's gamesmanship or whatever. It's just him being personality. But now we're seeing people questioning, like, should he be doing a podcast right now? Is that taking away from his attention? I don't think that should be enough to take away. Is it, you know, talking about basketball or whatever for 30 minutes, a few times a week shouldn't be enough to rob him of his attention on the basketball floor in the NBA finals. But I understand because he's not playing well, people are going to be looking for, well, is it because of this? Is this the reason why he's not playing well? So, I think that that Draymond has got to figure things out on the court and then everything else will will kind of go away. But the the off court stuff, the stuff that he's saying, the things he's talking about and all that, that again, that shouldn't be enough to distract him, to ruin his play on the floor. I think just the Celtics are very good defensively and he's just having a bad series. I, I don't think the other Draymond stuff is anything unusual for him, him drawing heat. That's, it's kind of what he does. Is he doing it maybe a little bit more because of the podcast and because players are now starting to look at their post-playing day's career and knowing that if they make enough noise, then they'll get jobs in the media, kind of like we saw with J.J. Redick. We've seen Patrick Beverly do it recently, too. Just go say some outlandish stuff, and eventually people will bring you on shows to talk about things. There's probably some element of that to it, but ultimately, Draymond's got to figure things out on the floor because if he doesn't, then this thing's, then this thing's done.
1: Yeah, and I, I got I got some thoughts on that. We'll, we'll talk again, you know, at some point, Trevor, doing a podcast on this over the offseason, which is, I don't agree. I love J.J. Redick. I love C.J. McCollum. I love when they have these, these players, former players coming on and talking about the game. I think it's great. But also there's a lack of objectivity too, right? They're, they're not going to screw with somebody getting paid. They're not going to screw with um a friend of theirs or maybe you know try and put them in a bad spot and i think remaining mm-hmm. objective is something that in journalism although it's severely missing over the last 10 years with with the rise of social media i just i tend not to agree with his take that hey yeah you guys know the game better than than a lot of people because you're you're playing it obviously throughout your life you're playing it at the highest level um which less than 1% of the world will ever get to do but there's also something to be said for the craft of journalism, but again, that's a, that's a topic we can spend an hour talking about it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. get, get, getting back to the, the encore stuff, if you're looking at this, the warriors have been dynamite in the third quarter They played great in, in Q3 last night, the warriors overall plus 43 in the series in the, in the third quarter, but the Celtics outscoring me and every single one, you mentioned this too, that you think, cause I, I said this before on a podcast where at, at their best, the Celtics are better than the Warriors. Now the question is consistency. Where we've seen Boston play horribly, especially in that Miami series, and lose a few games and, and not look as good. Do you think this is? Do you think the Warriors have any chance at, at coming back right now? And if so, what do you put them at from a scale from zero to one hundred that they can come back and
2: win this series? I'd give them maybe like a thirty percent chance. I think they definitely can. Um, a game four is everything. If they if the Warriors win Game four, then I think whoever wins Game five winds will wind up taking the series if the warriors don't win game four it's probably done then then that's it um then the celtics will win maybe the warriors come back and win and win game five but then game six boston would, would finish it off i would think that's kind of the way i see this playing out i don't i think you can never bet against steph curry with what he can do out there on the floor clay thompson can obviously shoot incredibly well but you kind of got that in in last night's game both of them played really well but you had a few guys who didn't, and that was enough to, to tip the scales. In addition to you know the Celtics shot the ball very well and overall played well, so I think the Warriors can win this. I think they're not out of it, but they are kind of on the ropes here. They have to win Game Four uh, again. If they don't win Game Four, that's it. It's this, this, this thing is done.
1: Yeah, I I think that they they need to get a little bit more from their secondary pieces. Right? You look at the uh-huh. role players. Uh, you mentioned Steph has been. Dynamite throughout the series, averaging better than, than 30 points a game so far, although hasn't been great in the in the fourth quarters. I believe it only has eight points total in, in the fourth. But when you look at the rest of the players, and I talked about this a bit before, something the Sixers are sorely lacking, where hey, you know what? A guy like Grant Williams, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard are gonna come in and hit some big shots for you, not necessarily gonna score 25 points but they each contribute eight to 10. That makes a huge difference. And so I think the Warriors need to get more offensive output. And you mentioned the Celtics defense is suffocating. So it's not going to be easy, but at least, you know, getting guys like Jordan Poole going, who hasn't been very good Mm -hmm. other than in game two, getting guys like Gary Payton, uh, the second, I always say say junior, but Gary Payton, the second, trying to get some uh, easy buckets there. Otto Porter, you mentioned another guy being able to make some big shots. So I think if, if the, yeah, like you said, if the Warriors don't get things done, in in game four this one is going to be a wrap how is it going to make you feel if the celtics do win the title trevor
2: at this point i'm almost to the point where i'm numb to it because i've been (laughs) expecting this to happen and it's been this whole season even and again not to sound woe is me the lakers have won 17 championships so they've experienced a ton of success this isn't a sob story anything but even game to game lakers fans were just beaten down this season by Within the game, the Lakers would make it became known as the fake comeback among Lakers fans. They would make a little push, get everybody's hopes. Back. They would just get blasted at the beginning of the game. They'd make a little push just to get everybody's hopes up again and then just crushed right back down into the earth. And then you had the entire season with the tidal waves of injuries and all that kind of stuff. At this point, we're just expecting a Celtics championship because that's the only way that this disaster of a season could potentially end. Um, but again, <laughs> here's but the other thing I've been saying. The Celtics are a lot of fun. Like, from a Lakers perspective, I wish they were wearing any other jersey, except for maybe the Clippers, but any other jersey, really. And we would be all in pulling for these guys. It's a fun team. I just wish they weren't wearing green, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I You know what the weird part
1: is? Because I, I love watching Jalen Brown play. I think Jason Tatum's awesome, too, like, just individually. but. I can't stand the Celtics either. So I think we're all united on this front, uh, West Coast to East Coast, but those, <laughs> those bastards might, <laughs> might pull it off for this one. Uh, Trevor, we'll wrap things up here. I want to thank you for joining me, man. Um, always fun talking to you. And we're going to get to meet up and actually hang out again uh, next month in Summer League. So looking forward to that.
2: That's right. It's going to be going to be fun. Thanks for
1: having me, man. Yeah, we make sure we don't have too much fun
2: because we still got work to do while we're there, right, Trevor? <laughs> well, if we have something in the evening or whatever, then then we can go have some fun. <laughs> all right, well, that's a deal. No, we're definitely looking forward to
1: seeing you there. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. That's Trevor Lane. Don't forget, you can catch him on Lakers Nation. Does all their post game shows. Also a part of the NBA front office show. Check him out on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. I'm at Jazz Kang 21. And don't forget, like I always say, subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast network. Lots going to be happening in the next couple of weeks with the Sixers, the draft coming up. They do own the number 23 pick whether they keep it or not, they're going to have to make that selection, whether they move it after or not, that remains to be seen. And as I mentioned, James Harden contract drama, lots to discuss. So we'll have you covered at the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything.